0: I ask you to take your Bibles, if you will, and let's turn to the book of Judges, chapter number 2. Judges, chapter number 2. Now, we're going to hit some of the same verses that we hit last week. We just hit them real lightly there toward the end as we were talking about how the children failed. Remember, we in looking at how just one generation after Joshua and the elders that served with Joshua were all dead and gone, that the whole nation of Israel is in deep trouble. They're in deep trouble. And we find that from verse number 10, Judges chapter number 2, verse 10. And all, also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel." And the last two weeks we dealt with what happened, amen, we said that uh, God did not fail, God never fails us, does He? And God's promises never fail, God's purpose never fails, and that's such a blessing to us, but boy, sometimes we fail Him, don't we? And we said God's people did fail, grandparents failed, uh, the grandparents are the ones that their caucuses dropped in the wilderness, because they, didn't, they weren't obedient the first time to uh, obey the Lord, and, to go into the land, and God had them wandering in the wilderness till all of them dropped. Yeah, well, they they should have taught their their kids and grandkids uh, a little bit more about obe- obeying God, but they didn't. The parents failed; they failed in their task uh, in teaching and in their testimony. And then we said the children failed as we left last week. Said so the children failed in their obligation. You know, they got an obligation to seek, receive, acknowledge, obey, and serve the Lord too. Just cause your parents mess up or your grandparents mess up doesn't give you the the, uh, uh, ability to just uh, do what you want to do. You you still got to serve the Lord. You still got to seek the Lord. You still got to acknowledge Him and obey Him and serve Him. The children failed in their not only their obligation but their opportunities that God gave them and in their observance. So, uh, what happened when this generation arose that knew not the Lord? That's what we want to look at tonight. Uh, draw some parallels with our own nation. In fact, I, I got a handout for you. I'm, I didn't give it to you tonight uh, beforehand because I didn't want you to be distracted. Okay, But uh, I think I mentioned it last week. It is from Probe, um, a very good organization that uh, they did a, they've been taking a look at uh, trends over the uh, last couple of decades, and it's very interesting what you find there. How that uh, in our nation things are worse than you think they are, uh, as far as where what the direction that we're headed, people that claim to be born again Christians, and where they stand, you know, it's just uh, it's really sad, and um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read that tonight, but uh, I'm I'm gonna give it to you as a as a uh, uh, homework, I guess you'd say. Uh, for, I'm not going. I'm not going to test you on it. All right, it's just uh, it's just for you to see for yourself. And uh, uh, I thought it was very interesting myself. First thing we want us to see tonight, and we're taking a look at what happens when a generation is lost. We see the the first thing to happen was they did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse number eleven. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Uh Flip back to Deuteronomy. Hold your place there in Judges. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. They had been warned about this. Um, Moses had warned them. The Lord had warned them really through Moses. In Deuteronomy 4 verse number 23. Deuteronomy 4 verse number 23. It says, Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God. And obviously, they weren't taking heed to themselves, were they? which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God, to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. Ye shall be left few in number among the heathen whither the the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve God's And the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So I'm glad the Lord gave them a remedy, amen, but uh, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. This was first and foremost uh, what happened to them. I want you to note several important things about this phrase. What they did may not have been considered evil by the Canaanite nations that they were in. I'm sure the Canaanites were just used to doing whatever they wanted to do. I mean, just think about the Canaanite nations were really like us comparing the world. We're to be different from the world. We're not to be the same, are we? But uh, I want you to see also that they were... Um, they. What they did may not have been considered evil by the civil authorities of the nation of Israel. I mean, there's a new generation that moved on uh, on the set here. The old elders that served with Joshua, they were all gone. And you, anytime you got to change in administration, sometimes things can't change. They can change for the better, they can change for the worse. And these uh, this changed for the worse. These folks... Uh, Probably didn't have a problem with uh, what what Israel wanted to do. Also, think about the religious authorities of the nation of Israel, the priests. Um, you know, sadly, uh, even today, we see churches and ministers moving away from the faith. Yeah, you know, and you, it'll be evident in this handout that I'll give you uh, a little bit later, but. Uh, you know, that's not the, that's not who we listen to. Also, the fellow brethren. You know, it's easy for us to get an idea talking to others and say, you know, well, uh, let's do this. Well, that sounds real good. Let's let's do that. Well, not if it goes against God. You know, then they were probably their fellow brethren that didn't, didn't see any problem with it. And they didn't see any problem with it to themselves personally. There's the sense that what they were doing had become generally acceptable by all but the one who really mattered most. And it was not acceptable to God. And we live in a a world that is becoming more and more pluralistic, moving away from God. And uh, people around us are okay with things that we ought not to be okay with. Okay. We, we, we don't know, not to move in that direction. But as you will see, in the last uh, 10 years, um, things have changed quite drastically. In fact, um, I think it was when they first did this survey, they were thinking, well, when these kids that have moved away from God, you have moved out of the house and moved away from God, when they get kids of their own, they'll start moving back toward God. But it's not happening. Okay? It's not happening. Um, and the, the trend is very upsetting now what they did was evil in the sight of the Lord and he's the one that counted Lord is the one who sets the holy standard 1 Peter 1 verse 15-16 to 16 says but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be holy for I am holy that's Leviticus 11.44 that he's referencing there The Lord's holy standard was codified, we know, in the law that he gave to his people. And uh, there's nothing wrong with the law. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 19, he talks about uh, the law of the Lord. In Psalm 19, verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the, the than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So we know that God has a standard. He's got a holy standard He uh, wants us to live up to. The, holy, the Lord's holy standard was and is an immovable standard. And in fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This book right here, this book is the standard. This book is not going to be the, the thing that moves. We are the ones uh, that uh, are to move toward it, not move away from it. Amen. God's not the one who needed to change. You know, they probably were some that, like in our day and time, well, God's out of date. You know, you, know, those, you Bible thumpers, you need, to get, uh, you need to get up to date with, uh, with the way things are in this world. No. Uh, God's Word never changes, not going to change. The, the Lord's holy standard was and is an immovable standard. Everything that is done is done in the sight of the Lord, too. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. No way we can get away around that. Hebrews 4.13 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Throughout this book, and really all the historical books, those of you that have been with us for a while, you know, we just recently went through the books of Samuel and Kings uh, has spent a long time, a couple of years going through there, looking at the history uh, uh, of the kings. And some of the uh, uh, most important phrases that you'll find in those books uh, is they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's a regular phrase. And every time they did evil in the sight of the Lord, listen, it didn't go well with them. <laughs> um, it occurs seven times here in the book of Judges as descriptive of the six apostasies of Israel, which drew down upon the six servitudes that we're going to be taking a look at as we go through this book. Uh, The the Lord put them under servitude to various enemies. Uh, Let's just take a look at a few of these. We're not going to look at all of them, but of course uh, we we read one there in in Judges 2.11, but look at Judges chapter number 3. And also verse number 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. You see a trend here? They just kept, just kept messing up. You know, uh, when you keep messing up and things don't go well, uh, it's t- time to get things done arighted uh, in your life, it? Um, but they uh, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They also they f- forsook the Lord their God. Look at verse twelve and verse thirteen of of chapter two. Verse twelve and thirteen, they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Let's think about this for a minute. They forsook. That, that word means to depart, to abandon, to, to loose. And um, by definition, it's a determined act. They determined that they were just going to do this. They forsook the Lord. It, it, was, it was not where they just drifted away from Him. They, they chose to forsake the Lord. They served and followed other gods. The word served there in verses 11 through 13, talking about to worship or obey. And when it says they followed, they were walking behind, walking behind uh, those gods. I want you to note the plurality of gods that they turned to. Verse 12 talks about other gods, you know, the other gods. Um, Balaam or Baal is mentioned in verse 11 and verse 13. Now, understand that Balaam is the plural for Baal. Baal was the chief god worshipped by the people of Canaan. And I'll say something about it uh, more here in just a minute. Ashtoreth is also mentioned there in verse 13. Plus, uh, that's a plural of Ashtoreth, a Canaanite fertility goddess. And then the Canaanites had gods for almost every season, activity and place. You know, they, they, there wasn't any god that they... Uh, didn't like. <laughs> I mean, they even were okay with the Lord Jehovah as long as they could mix him in with with their gods. But God ain't into that. He's just not. Uh, the worship of Baal was frequently connected with immorality which is one of the reasons that the Israelites were so sorely tempted in that area. And uh, we know the Canaanites saw the Lord God Jehovah as just another god to add to all the other gods but We know that he he is the only true God. In fact, he is a jealous God. Um, The problem for both Israelites and the Canaanites was the first two commandments of the Lord. Think about the commandments the Lord gave them in Exodus chapter 20. And the Lord said in verse 3 and 4, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And, of course, um, they were quick to, to turn away from that. How sad. They provoked the Lord to anger. as it says there in verse number 12, the latter part of the verse. Look at the very last phrase. They bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Now verse 14 also says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them they sold them to the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Now, that phrase, provoked to anger, means they vexed the Lord, agitated him. They stirred him up against themselves. They provoked the heat uh, they, uh, from the Lord to, to themselves. Provoked the heart to a heated condition, which in turn leads to specific actions. Now understand when the Lord's covenant people became unfaithful to him, he, by virtue of his holiness and jealous love, was provoked to anger and wrath against them. We see that in verse number 14 and 15, they lost the hedge of protection. You know God's people had a hedge of protection? They did, until they turned away from him. There in verse 14 and 15, he delivered them to the spoilers. <laughs> verse 15 said, look at verse 15, where the silver they went out, Hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said unto, uh, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. God had them hedged in; nobody could touch them. But God lift that hedge of protection. When the hedge of protection was gone, they were, uh, of course, uh, fodder for the enemy. They developed stubborn hearts, uh, according to verse sixteen. Through 19 here. It says, look at verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Now, the the Lord was gracious to do that, wasn't he? The Lord's always gracious to to help us get what we need to get done and get back to where we need to be at. But it says in verse 17, Yet they would not hearken unto their judges. But they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way. In other words, they had, may have had some repentance and moved back. A little like they were moved back, but they were quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, but but they did not so. Just think about that. When uh, I think we all understand stubbornness, don't we? <laughs> you, ever, you ever have... Anybody in your family that was stubborn? amen? You know? um, I think we all have got that that one that we, that comes to mind whenever you think about that. well listen we can all be stubborn, can't we? We just really can. but they develop stubborn hearts and sin hardens people. It calluses the heart against God. When, and when you've got a callous a callous is past feeling, isn't it? you know I, I was raised on a small farm in Brunswick, Georgia. My dad kept us busy to keep us out of trouble, and we were always putting up uh, new fences or cleaning the fence rows or something. All the kind of work that we did there on a small farm, you would get calluses on your hands. And sometimes we'd just take a, a pin and just pick at it. You couldn't feel a thing with it. You know, uh, it was tough, rough, but you didn't have to worry about it blistering anymore. You know, it was beyond blistering. Well, listen. You, you, you apply that to the heart. Think about the heart. When it can't be touched. When it can't be affected. That's, that's what it's talking about. A, a hardened and calloused heart. So they did evil in the sight of the Lord. second thing we see in verses 20 through 23 here is, is they didn't experience the deliverance that could have and should have been theirs. The Lord allowed the Canaanite nations to remain in the land. let's look at verse twenty through twenty three here. It says and the Lord and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, notice here what the Lord's gonna do. He says, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Now remember, they were supposed to drive them out. But you remember what we said that they did instead of driving them out? So, oh, uh, they put them to tribute. Now, well, let's get some work out of this. Let's, uh, let's see if we can uh, get any gain from them. That's not what the Lord told them to do. The Lord told them to drive them out. And uh, he was going to drive them out, but they had to, he was going to use them to do it. But they refuse to walk in obedience. And so look at there at verse number 22. It says that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord let those nations without driving them out hastily. Neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. So, They could have had, if they just listened to the Lord and been obedient to the Lord, they could have have, had deliverance. Uh, It was theirs. The Lord told them that it was theirs. But they they had to be obedient to the Lord to move forward. The Lord allowed the Canaanite nations, though, to remain in the land. And two reasons why God gives here for this to happen. First of all, he chose to punish Israel for her apostasy and turning to idolatry. I mean, part of it was a punishment. You know, sometimes the, the worst punishment for sin is the consequences of sin itself. It just is. The Lord let the, left the Canaanites in the land to test Israel's faithfulness to himself. This provided each generation with an opportunity to keep the way of the Lord or to continue in the rebellion of their immediate ancestors. And sadly, they continued in the rebellion. They continued in a downward cycle that continued for many years to come. In fact, the the judges that we're going to be taking a look at, 325 years worth here in this book. 325 years. Think about that. And you had a cycle. It began with sin. Get away from the Lord. That would bring suffering and servitude. And then... As the suffering came, and they couldn't handle it, they would finally get to the place where they'd cry out to God. Call that supplication. When they would cry out to God, God would send them a judge. He'd send salvation. And then uh, that judge would deliver them, and there'd be a period of silence. And then they'd go right back in. Sin, suffering and servitude, supplication, salvation, Silence, there were six cycles of this with twelve judges mentioned that God used to deliver Israel from her oppressors. Now what you to think about three hundred twenty five years wasted they wasted three hundred and twenty five years. What happens when a generation is lost for God? Well, you wind up with a godless society you wind up with pain and with suffering and with servitude and all that comes with it. But it all begins with that incomplete obedience of the parents and grandparents so they can full, fully carry out what the Lord uh, told them to do. And could I tell you that uh, this may be the Israelites back then, but we're seeing the same thing happen in our nation. Yeah? We just are. Uh, we need revival in our own land. And may we see how small compromises can lead to great sin. I I just want to point a couple of things out here before we have our prayer time. I'm not going to read all of this to you, but it's just a sampling of what you find here. But comparing these two surveys reveals a striking decline in Christian uh, religious beliefs and practice across America over the last decade. And um, it is... Very striking. Some of the, when you'll notice here, they got a loose definition of born again. Because some of these folks that claim to be born again, um, they don't have what I would consider a basic biblical worldview. What is a basic biblical worldview? That's when you strongly affirm that God is the all powerful, all knowing, perfect creator who rules the world today. A lot of folks don't have a good, strong, uh, idea who God is. That the Bible is totally accurate in all of its teachings. And you'll, you'll find out that some of these think, well, uh, we, can, we can take that or leave that part of the Scripture. Or a person cannot be good enough t- uh, to earn a place in heaven. Well, you know, attitudes are changing on that. You know, because of the pluralistic society that we live in and the education system that we see in our, our nation... People are moving into thinking, well, you know, all roads gonna to lead to, to heaven, but they're not. <laughs> we know they're not, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And then uh, here's another one here. While on earth Jesus committed no sins like other people do. Well, you know that there's a lot of folks who are they they say claim to be born again that think that Jesus sinned. How can you be born again and think that, that Jesus had any sin? To me, you, you've missed the definition. Um, but only born again Christians had a sizable minority of one fourth affirming those four things that I just talked about. One fourth of people claiming to be born again Christians affirm that that worldview. In contrast, nearly half of born again Christians affirmed it just ten years ago. Half. From half to, and split it in half again, but uh, clearly the last decade, when you read this, you'll find out had a serious impact on the perception of what it means to be a Christian. Um, let me encourage you to read it. I know it's a little bit heavy to read, but uh, I think it'll, I think it'll really help you kind of understand what's going on in our nation and know how to pray for our nation. Amen. All right, uh, that's our Bible study for this evening. Let's let's pull back out our prayer list. Pray for the needs. Uh, on the prayer list